Uh, this is a 40-second sermon in this uh, series, and I don't know how long it'll be until we finish. Uh, we'll see. But I invite you to be back with us next week as we continue to uh, read uh, the end of Acts 18. But this morning, our hope and desire is to hear from God, to engage with God based on His revelation in this passage of Acts 18. 1 through 17. If you did not bring your Bible this morning, we encourage you to get a Bible provided in a chair in front of you. You may find this passage on page number 927, and I will be reading from the ESV translation. Here is the word of the Lord for us, for our hearts this morning. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and he tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with a word, testifying to the Jews and that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius, Eustus, a worshiper of God. His house was next to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for our hearing. Would you, uh, would, would you go with me to the Lord in prayer and ask that he would give us his spirit to understand? Father, we recognize and confess that in our own strength, in our own human sinful nature, we do not have the ability to understand your word as you would have us. So, Lord, we ask of you, would you enlighten us through your Holy Spirit? Would you engage with us by your Spirit? Would you speak to us? Pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Friends, do you find yourself ever discouraged, fearful, or intimidated to speak about Christ to others? Think about it. 
Some of you, as you're thinking about this question, may say, I don't ever remember a time when I was not fearful, intimidated about speaking about Jesus. Now, such reasons of fear and intimidation uh, could vary a lot. But what is more important is what such fears and intimidation often does to us. It often makes us stop speaking about Jesus, doesn't it? Or if we do find some courage to speak about Jesus, it often makes us speak about him in a very timid way, doesn't it? Let's listen how God provided encouragement in evangelism to one of his servants, the Apostle Paul. Why is Luke telling us about this passage that, that Paul is visiting Corinth and his experience in Corinth? Well, for one, Corinth was a major city, a very important city, along with Athens, about 60 miles from Athens, actually. Um, and next to it was also Ephesus in that same area. Corinth was not just a, a city port. And you know what happens in, in cities that have ports. A lot of commerce, lots of trade, lots of activity, lots of immorality. Well, Corinth was unique. Not only was a city with one port, it had two ports because it was facing two different seas on both sides. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the influence of the city? Can you imagine the, the wealth of the city? Can you imagine the, the kind of attraction the city had? Can you imagine the morality the city had? And we are told by historians that uh, to, be, to be called a Corinthian was actually a, a dub name, a, a nickname to be, to be an immoral person. To be, even prostitutes were, were called by this name. You're a Corinthian. That's how bad of a reputation the city of Corinth had when it comes to immorality. But it's also a city full of aristocracy. People fled it to the city. The, the, the high intellectual culture uh, was big time present in the city because of the money that was there. And yet Paul will write to the city of Corinth and, uh, and to the church, and he will say to them at the beginning of his first uh, letter, he says, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were noble of noble birth, even though this is what the city prided in its, in its background. But it's not just that Corinth was important. Corinth will the church in Corinth will become the seal of Paul's apostleship. The seal of Paul's apostleship. So no wonder Luke wants to tell us about Paul's visit to the city. But there's something else that's really a highlight of this story as Paul arrives in Corinth. And this is what Luke emphasizes for us in our passage. It's that Paul himself when coming to the city, needed some real encouragement from God himself to keep speaking about Jesus. Wow. This is what this passage is pointing out, that Paul himself needed encouragement to speak about Jesus. Friends, I pray that the lessons learned from Paul's first visit to Corinth might be an encouragement and a challenge to us this morning that we might keep speaking about Jesus. Let's look at two points as we consider God's encouragement in evangelism. Two points in God's encouragement in evangelism. The first one is, and if you like taking notes, here it is. Intimidation of speaking about Jesus is real. 
intimidation. Speaking about Jesus is real. Uh, for the members of our congregation, the topic of speaking about Jesus to others is not new. We have been focusing on this uh, last year and continue to focus on it. We have been saying and continue to say it is the responsibility of every Christian um, to speak about Jesus. There's just no way around it. Scripture is filled with instructions about that truth. And yet, we found it necessary to focus on it because we have found ourselves to be deficient in this area as, as a congregation. And we want to learn and grow in, in our courage and boldness and practice of speaking about Jesus. Now, if you're visiting us this morning, you might, uh, and, and I don't know your background, you might be completely shocked and surprised to hear that uh, there's people um, on this planet that would say that if you're a Christian, it is your responsibility to speak about Jesus. Um, I understand why you might feel surprised, uh, even fearful and scared. Like, whoa, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure um, that I'm, I'm ready for that. Well, friends, let me assure you, you, that's not a condition to become a Christian. Speaking about, about Jesus is not a condition to become a Christian. Now, confessing him, it is. But, but speaking about him is something that actually happens in us after we have experienced the Lord Jesus in our hearts. We, can't, we cannot keep Jesus to ourselves. That's just the way it is. When we understand who he is and what he has done for us, we cannot keep him to ourselves. And yet, and yet, so many of us who have been redeemed by Christ experience fear and intimidation, and we feel somewhat inferior in speaking about Jesus. Friends, you're not alone in feeling intimidated by this task. It still intimidates many Christians today. But what are, what are some reasons why we feel intimidated about speaking about Jesus? Is it because we don't know what we should say? If, if that's your fear, come and talk to me at the end of the service. I would love to spend time with you. I'd love to talk to you about it. That's one of the things we're supposed to do as a, as a congregation, to, to equip each other to know how to speak about Jesus. That's one of our focuses. We want to equip everyone, especially those who are members of our congregation, but all people, how to speak about Jesus. So that's an easy one. Come and talk to me at the end of the service. But others might feel intimidated to speak about Jesus because they're afraid of rejection. Um, and that fear is, is real. Uh, it's because we're afraid of being viewed as, as weird religious dudes. You know, I, we, we don't want to have that reputation, right, uh, by in front of our colleagues or neighbors. So we, we would rather not speak about Jesus. Friends, I don't know what fears you are. There's many fears out there. I, I don't know which is yours, but it doesn't really matter which, one, which type it is because here's the bottom line. We all need encouragement in speaking about Jesus. I'm looking forward to our next uh, Sunday night um, prayer service. Next week, we're starting these again. One of the things we do in these prayer services is we're allowing those present to go around and talk about opportunities they've had to speak about Jesus. And it's such an encouragement to hear how God is using various people in our congregation. It's a way of encouraging one another to speak about Jesus. And if you haven't done it in a long time, come and be there and be encouraged to hear what others are doing to speak about Jesus. But here's, here's a question. Would it surprise you to hear that one of the people who needed encouragement to speak about Jesus was actually Paul. Now think about it. Paul, the apostle. He 
experienced a time in his life when he needed to be encouraged to speak about Jesus. You know why? Because he himself experienced fears, even trembling. Now, Luke doesn't give us all the details, but if we read the, the letter he wrote, 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says to the Corinthian church, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. Now, we don't know the exact reason why Paul experienced such weakness and, and fear and much trembling, but this is how he came to Corinth. This is what he experienced as he came to Corinth. Friends, intimidation to speak about Jesus is a reality that can creep on us no matter how experienced we are as Christians. It happened even to the Apostle Paul. But just because it happens, just because it's in our hearts, it does not mean that we should not speak about Jesus. There are some folks who, um, when they think about their fears and intimidation, they conclude wrongly, I, uh, I, I, must not, I must not be called to do this. It must not be the spiritual gift God has given me. Or, um, I, 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 I'm not trained to do this. Do those sound familiar? Friends, if the Apostle Paul himself experienced fear and trembling as he came to the city, make no mistake. Your fears and intimidation to speak about Jesus is no ground for concluding that you are not called to do so and that you should not do so. It's no excuse to hide behind your fears. But before we move on, let me remind you the obvious. The one who did experience these fears, the Apostle Paul, even prior to this, had been stoned. He had been imprisoned. He had been flogged for speaking about Jesus. This, this man was no rookie to the Christian faith. He's not an inexperienced Christian. He's been there. He's been along, around the block for a long time. And he would be ready to do whatever it takes. And yet, he came to a point in his life when he needed encouragement to speak about Jesus. Friends, I wonder if this morning you find yourself trapped in a mode of fear that leads you to be silent about Jesus. That's the first point. This passage teaches us, challenges us. Intimidation in speaking about Jesus is real, but it's no excuse to stop talking about him. Here's a second point. God encourages, or God's encouragement in speaking about Jesus can heal our fears. God's encouragement in speaking about Jesus can heal our fears. It was not unusual to have, for Paul to have visions from the Lord, but there's something usual about this particular vision that the Lord gave Paul in Corinth. This time, the Lord spoke to Paul and said, Do not be afraid. Look at verse 9. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. This is the first way God encourages Paul, and his encouragement will end up being a healing for Paul's fears by three commands. And then we're going to see two reasons of, for this encouragement. Three commands. Very simple. Do not be afraid. Go on speaking. Do not be silent. Now, why would Paul be afraid? Possibly because of harm. Uh, the passage gives that hint. As a matter of fact, verses 12 through 17 tell us how the Jews actually planned for another attack to harm Paul. And just as God 
told him specifically they were not able to. They were not able to harm Paul. But they wanted to. Paul may have been afraid of, of harm. And, and why, why was the harm there? Why was that harm in the, in the, on the radar? Well, look at, look at the way Paul did speak to the Jews. Not only he, he reasoned with them in the synagogue, Sabbath as of Sabbath, but after they were fed up with it, they reviled against him. They rejected him. And what does Paul do? He, he doesn't turn from the Jews to the Gentiles in a very, um, how should I put it, wise and um, prudent way. Look at the passage. When Paul speaks to them, and he's, uh, he says, I'm going to turn from you and go to the Gentiles, Paul looked. Look at verse 6. Paul said to them, your blood be on your own head, heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go on to the Gentiles. What did he mean? What, what, a, what a way to, to speak to these Jews and say, your rejection of Jesus actually makes you guilty. And actually, now you're guilty for your, for your own rejection. I am innocent. I have told you what I was supposed to tell you. Why is Paul using this hard language? We would say it's not very wise. It may not be wise from a human perspective, but not from God's perspective. You know why? Because this language actually comes from the prophet Ezekiel, when God commanded Ezekiel to speak to his people. And it, it happens in, in chapter 3 and then chapter 33. Let me just read you in, in a few verses from chapter 3 of Ezekiel. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. But Paul knows the Old Testament. He's steeped into the knowledge of the Old Testament. In other words, Paul is saying to the Jews that the message that that he is communicating to them has a similar weightiness as the message of, of Ezekiel. The weightiness of Paul's message was such that the rejection of the message makes them bear responsibility for their rejection. This seems hard to swallow, and yet this is what God told Ezekiel. And this is what Paul says to the Jews in Corinth. No wonder the Jews wanted to harm him. I mean, honestly, when you make your message to be such a, such a matter of life and death, and now if you reject it, you remain guilty for your rejection? Friends, there's something for us to learn about this. I'm not suggesting that we should act in the same, same way to, towards all who reject the message of the gospel, in the sense of we, we need to shake off our, our clothes just like Paul did and, and give the exact same words. But, but this response that Paul gives the Jews reminds us of the seriousness and the weightiness of this gospel message. And our message is never, should never be presented as a light issue. It's never presented as a light issue in the Bible. Perhaps our fears and intimidation may cause us to present the gospel in a matter that it's not a really a matter of life and death. We, we take it so casually. Friends, perhaps in our fears of not turning someone off, we don't like to make it plain how serious the issue of the gospel is. I love J.I. Packer. He said, 
Is our way of presenting Christ so light and casual and cozy and jolly as to make it hard for the hearers to feel that the gospel is a matter of any consequence except as a pick-me-up for life's misfits? That's not what the gospel is for. The gospel is to save us. And rejecting it brings on our own heads responsibility. Friends, I wonder if you are someone who's either toying with the gospel message. You, you may not know it. You may have not heard it. Or you may have. And, and you don't know whether or not you should respond to it. I pray that you consider responding to it. Because it is indeed a life and death matter. And if you'd like to know more about this truth and about the truth of the gospel and how to respond to the gospel, I would love to talk to you at the end of the service. But what are the grounds? That's why Paul uh, gets his commands from the Lord. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not be silent. No one will harm you. Yes, you have spoken the truth plainly, and you have put it seriously. What are the things God gives Paul to assure him that things will be okay? You know, it's one thing. God can command us to do something, but we still don't have the power to do it, right? God says, don't be afraid. Speak. Don't be silent. And then we stay before these commands and say, okay, Lord, he's your son that done. On what can we find assurance and, and help and encouragement to actually carry out these commands? Two reasons that God gives Paul for why he commands him not to be afraid, but to speak and not to be silent. And both of these reasons are introduced in our passage by the word for. And it's in verse 10. Four. The first four, the first reason is, for I am with you. For I am with you. The presence of God has the power to dispel and heal the, hear, the fears of our hearts. Remember Psalm 23? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me, says the psalmist. The reminder of the presence of God with us should dispel our fears, including our fears of evangelism, the fears of persecution, the fears of our own inadequacy. The presence of the Lord with us should be a great encouragement for us to speak about Jesus. Remember Matthew 28, the Great Commission? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold... I am with you always until the end of the age. In other words, God told Paul, don't be afraid. Speak. Do not be silent. Why? Because I am with you. Friend, do you ever think that the reminder of God's presence with you is God's medicine to heal the fears of not speaking about Jesus? Do you ever think about God's presence as being medicine to heal your fear? not speaking about Jesus. Pray, pray that if you have not realized that, that you would realize that today. This is how God encourages Paul, by reminding him of his presence. But there's a second assurance in verse 10. There's another for expression. For I have many in the city who are my people. Wow. For I have many in the city who are my people. Why is this encouragement to keep on speaking about Jesus uh, necessary? Human intuition and logic would say, well, God, if you already have many people in the city, great, I can move on to the next one. You know, if you, if you already have them, I can go on. I, I don't need to stick around. 
And yet that is not what God is saying. That's human logic. But that's not God's way of looking at things. This is how, what God meant. The people God is talking about that he has do not yet, are not yet Christians. They belong to him not because they became Christians. They belong to him by the decree of God's election. Where they were, they were God's people, but now God was going to bring them into the actual body of Christ. God was planning to raise up a great church in Corinth. We should not be surprised of this mystery of, of God's election. Jesus himself said in John 10, when he spoke about being the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, he said, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Just because they belong to Jesus by the decree of election does not mean that there is nothing left to do. They actually must be brought into God's flock. But how? How are people brought into God's flock? By proclaiming the word of Christ, which they must listen to and respond. I love what J.I. Packer said. Where Christ sends the gospel, there Christ has his people. Fast bound at present in the chains of sin, but due for release at the appointed moment through a mighty renewing of their hearts as the light of the gospel shines into their darkness and the Savior draws them to himself. Friends, this is a great assurance of evangelism that the people who belong to God from all eternity will listen to his voice. But they cannot listen to his voice if no one will speak to them. And that's why God commands Paul. He says, you can't leave the city. Yes, I have people in the city. But the only way they're actually going to become part of my fold, they're still outside the fold. They're mine, but outside the fold. The way they're going to come inside the fold is if someone will speak to them the words of Christ. And when they hear it, they will respond. That's why Paul can't leave. But the assurance, this assurance that God gives is also amazing in this following sense. The people whom God has, in what city are they? The people who are not yet part of the fold, who, who still belong to God, who belong to God but are not yet part of the fold, of what city are they? The city of Corinth. And they're not the Jewish people because the Jewish people have rejected the, 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 the gospel. In Corinth, who is he talking about? I have many in the city who, who are my people. He's talking about the Gentiles. And it's amazing when Paul will write to the church in Corinth. He says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither, is, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. Wow. The people who belong to God, the people whom God has elected from Corinth, are all those sinful people of Corinth. How amazing and gracious is God's electing decree. He doesn't call us because we are going to act towards him. He calls us whilst we are still sinners. And God doesn't just call those who live a good life. God calls sinners who are deeply entrenched in their sin. This is God's electing grace. Oh, friend, I pray that 
you have not known of the true grace of God, that he calls us not based on what you will do, not based on what you have done. He calls us despite of what you have done. And yet that calling must be manifested, and we must respond to it by responding to the words of Christ. Friends, I pray. I pray that God's assurance that those whom he has called, those whom belong to him, I pray that we would be assured in our hearts they will respond to Christ. I love what... Um, what John Stott says, the word of God is the divinely appointed means by which people come to put their trust in Christ and so identify themselves as his. This means for us, dear friends, that when we speak the gospel, our confidence should not be in how well we speak it or how much we know it or how well we can relate to those around us. If it's true, and it is true, that those whom God has will come to him, then don't worry about your inadequacy to speak about him. You're not causing the effectiveness of conversion. God makes it happen. So just give up your fears and rely and put your confidence in God's sovereign grace that even through the most imperfect inadequate and fearful mouth, God can bring his people in. We read in verse 11 of this passage, Paul stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. God healed Paul's fears. How? Not only through the commands that God gave him, but by reassuring him of his presence and by reassuring him of the sovereignty of God in salvation. It is God who makes our speaking effective. So don't be afraid. Speak and do not be silent. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you, in your word, give us encouragement in our own fears about evangelism. Father, remind us that you are sovereign and the effectiveness of your truth in our hearts does not depend on us, but on your grace. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would heal the fears of our hearts. Lord, even as we continue our time this morning to celebrate your grace through the act of baptism, I pray that you would be exalted and glorified and that you would draw people to yourself even this morning. I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.